And we are back on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer. And Ben, we have a special guest this morning. We're recording on Sunday morning, of Super Bowl Sunday, bright and early. And we finally get you on the pod to have our, our guest for a second return. Uh, the, the king of K-Vegas, our friend, colleague, <laughs> and resident expert on, on Duke, uh, Duke basketball specifically for today, Connor O'Neill. Happy to welcome you to the pod. Thanks, Essex. And uh, we got to check, Ben, do you have boots on or are you also figuratively wearing boots? Well, I'm always figuratively wearing boots, Connor, okay. but they are especially planted on the ground this morning. Glad to be able to join you for the pod the second time around. I was sad to miss it the first time. Yeah, we all got we stuff were, to do. Yeah, we really missed you that time, Ben. I mean, I, th- I think Connor and I, could, Connor could only bear to look at my face for so long without you here. I'm well, glad to be the mediator have, today, this morning. You didn't have the college baseball as rad hat on like you do now. I guess we're, we're not doing video, so uh, nobody will see that. But I can see it, and I appreciate the Stephen Scott shock, Scott, whatever, however mm-hmm. you pronounce that name. Uh, I appreciate that one. It's yeah, it's, it's a good hat. It's a, it's a few days away from opening day. You got to know where my right, spirit we're in, we're in opening week, aren't we? We are. It's officially opening week of Wake Forest baseball. But today we're going to be talking Wake Forest basketball. Deeks coming off a very hard-fought win in the Joel Coliseum Saturday afternoon over in-state rival NC State. And it doesn't get any easier. Quick turnaround, Monday night, have to go to down to Duke and play a very tough game in Cameron Indoor uh, Monday night on ESPN. But before we get into that, Connor, ahead of Monday night's matchup, we wanted to talk about that Wake Forest win over NC State yesterday. Prior to that game, Wake Forest had lost three straight against the Wolfpack dating back to last season, each in their own tough ways. It kind of it, it they were all different, but they were all painful in their own ways. What yeah, was the difference? Three, three really tough ways to lose to a team, right? Like, yeah. I hadn't thought of it until you said that, but between DJ Burns going for 31 last year, uh Damari going down at the end of the first half in the game last year, and that was a really fun first half until that. Yeah. Um, and then the game in Raleigh this year. Yeah, it's it's three backbreaking ways to lose to a team. Yeah. And so obviously there's the Hunter Salas 33 points. But was there kind of a, a difference maker that, that you saw that finally allowed them to flip that switch and get the job yet done yesterday in the Joel? Hell man, I mean, you know, you go to Andrew Carr because he made the shot at the end. I was I was really impressed. You know, I know. I know DJ Horn had 31, but I was impressed with how much Cam Hildreth made him work for the 12 that he scored in the second half. Um, I think he got one open three that he hit, but when a guy has 19 in the first half, you're just looking to to make things difficult and and make him see something different. And and I think Wake did that, even though obviously you're going to be hung up on the big number that he puts up, but you know, Cam did enough to affect his shot uh, in those last couple seconds and, and get the miss. I mean, he gets credit for that and he gets credit for chasing him around for most of the second half. The other one, I mean, Essex, you asked uh, Steve about it in the post game. Like, Matthew Marsh played maybe the most impactful 12 minutes of anybody um, to, to not let DJ Burns get going in the first half when Efton picks up two fouls in the first two and a half minutes. Um, that's huge because because DJ, one of the things I've kind of found out watching state over the last two years, DJ is very much a rhythm player. And 
Wake is the prime example of what happens and what can go wrong when he gets in a rhythm. And he he got to it once or twice yesterday, but it was never sustained throughout uh, an entire half like it was last year in Winston. So I thought that was huge that Matt Marsh came in when Efton was was out and you know not only not only you know you have flashbacks when he picks up the two quick ones to what happened in Raleigh earlier this year when he got foul trouble and fouled out of that game and I mean NC State's comeback doesn't happen if Efton isn't on the bench and then fouled out with three and a half minutes left Wake still had a lead I think when he fouled out of the game in Raleigh so I, I go to the 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 defensive impact of I guess I'm mentioning the two British kids, uh, Bangers and Mash there. So they they really helped Wake's defense kind of stem the tide in the second half. Um, what was it? State went from scoring 45 points in the first to 34 in the second, if my math is right. Yeah, and, um, that, and that shooting percentage dropped pretty significantly. Shooting percentage well. dropped. Points, points per possession um, went down a lot. I think it was like 1.22 in the first. And if my – I'm looking at looking at the yellow legal pad here and it's on the last 10 and a half minutes of the game. I think I think state would have wound up under 1.0 in the second half. So, you know, that's what they needed to do and that's what didn't happen in Raleigh. Like the the points per possession skyrocketed for NC State in the last 10 minutes of that game. So, I'll give it to to Bangers and Mash there. I'm glad you brought up Cam Hildreth because I thought that fall away kind of and one bucket he hit in the second half was one of the, the toughest shots anybody made all game. And it came at a huge time. And obviously, you know, we've talked about Cam Hildreth's ongoing struggle with that lingering wrist injury, but it's found a way in some big spots to be to be very effective and impactful for this team. Obviously, though, you know, we touched on it in the last answer. The man of the hour for Wake Forest last night was Hunter Salas, 12 of 17 from the field, 33 points, four of six beyond the arc, five of five from the free throw line. That is an all-world performance, really, you know, was huge all game. Driving to the hoop, you know, finding a shot behind the three-point line, went toe-to-toe with DJ Horn, outscored him by two and got the win. So, Connor, I'm going to ask you, this has been a a discussion on Twitter. So I wanted to to just ask you in general about what was it like to watch that guard matchup between Hunter Salas and DJ Horn? And then also, where does Hunter Salas fall in your all-ACC rankings after that performance? Oh, um, to answer the second question first, I think you would have to be a first team all ACC guy if you're putting together a team right now. Um, I think if you're filling that out, it's something like RJ Davis, Norchad Omir, PJ Hall, Hunter Salas, uh, and Reese Beekman. Uh, that gives you five right there. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm losing out on people like, you know, and there's there's basketball left to be played and and we can sort that out as it comes but right now that'd be my five um of course i don't get a vote so it doesn't matter what i think um shit i'm gonna pull a a coach thing on you what was the first question because i answered the second one just what was it like watching that that guard you know yesterday just two really high level guards playing really efficient high level basketball for 40 minutes yeah, the, the thing that really stuck with me was um, the end of the first half. They just went at it, and it was like the only two guys on the court that could score were those two guys. And I love the fact that they have coaching staffs that are just going to dial up plays for the hot hand. Um, 
we've seen that. We we know enough about this Steve Forbes staff to know that that's what they're going to do if they see somebody that has the the ver the. I use a Coach K term, and I'm sure I'll get flack for that. But to use the to find who has the verve, like who has the energy and who has the hot hand, it's like riding a good running back. Uh, you just keep dialing up that play until it gets stopped. And if they don't stop it, then you're going to win the game. Um, and then the other the other part of it, <laughs> I know DJ Horn is like enemy number one for some Wake fans right now. I loved him going in the post game and saying that. He and Salas were going up and down the court and saying like, yeah, you had it going, uh, you know, there, it sounded like there was some good nature like, Hey, you're putting on a show. Hey, so are you, man? Like, you know, that's just one side of it. Hunter didn't confirm that, but he, he basically said like, yeah, you know, that was, that was fun to go back and forth against him. I didn't want to go back and forth. Like we want to get a stop and win, but, um, yeah, and, and I made the I made the note early in the game, not to not to break my hand, patting myself on the back here, but it did seem like in before the first media timeout that Hunter Salas was in attack mode. And you don't always get that from him. Sometimes he lets the game come to him a little bit too much. Um he's got a little Jake Laravia to him in that regard, I think. But from the tip yesterday, like he hit that first three. Uh it was pretty much casual dribble into it. When he's able to do that, he's he's going to get rolling in a hurry. And that's when he's at his best, and I think that's when Wake is at its best. I don't think I'm breaking any secrets or peeling back any layers of an onion with that one. Like, he's he's so good, and, and Wake is so good when he is assertive and attacking and getting downhill. I think that's a good point, because now that you mention it, that was something that I kind of noticed early, where Hunter Salas was just drawing up shots, and you were kind of like, okay, he's just going for that. Like, there was no questions asked when he was drawing some of those up like he, he it was pretty clear as you said early that that he was really feeling it early on and just going right into it uh transitioning now to duke who is playing very very good basketball right now they've won five of their last six including double digit wins over bc and notre dame in the last two outings in relation to to wake forest against duke monday night Wake Forest hasn't won a game on Duke's home court since January 11th, 1997. And I had to do the digging on this because I've only really known a lot about Wake Forest basketball for a few years now. Dave Odom was the head coach. Tim Duncan scored 26 points that night, and the Deeks were the number two team in the nation. And that was the last time they won in Cameron Indoor. So my question on that is, is Duke vulnerable tomorrow night? Is Does Wake Forest have the ability to p- potentially go down or across to Durham and win? And if so, how? You know how many times I've had to write the since Tim Duncan senior year shit? Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm tired of writing it. Um, <laughs> no, I, like, do I think Wake has a chance? Absolutely. Um, you forget uh or or maybe people don't forget like wake was within two points of beating duke at duke uh two years ago uh and that was the one that i want to say duke was up 18 or 20 at halftime and steve went to the bigger lineup with alondis damari uh hadim jake and dallas like it was alondis was the shortest player on the court and he was what six four six five um that was also a strange game because Coach K was like faint at 
at the first half and Shire actually coached the second half. I've joked with Steve about how like he got thrown out the first time he coached against K in the co- or uh, the first time it was in Wake. Um anyway, uh feel like I'm getting sidetracked a bit, but yeah, um Duke is Duke is not unbeatable or or any stretch of the imagination. I think you you say that they're playing well because you see their numbers. They've left a lot of meat on the bone here lately. Um, it was one thing for them to lose it at Carolina in the first matchup of that game of that series this year. Um, they were really pissed off with the effort level in that game. And so they went into this past week saying like they needed to show effort. They had a, what Shire called a, a, a throwback Duke practice on Monday um, against Notre Dame. It was on Wednesday night. It was just kind of a, it wasn't lackadaisical, but it also wasn't the like fire breathing uh, 30 point win that you kind of would have wanted to see. Um, and Notre Dame makes you play down to their, like they muddy the game up. Um, Cause Wake hasn't played Notre Dame yet. Have they? So that's coming. Like it's, it's, it's going to happen to wake. Um, it's happened to Duke now twice. Uh, and then, you know, they beat Boston college by 15. They were up four at halftime. They, again, it's just, it's, it's kind of a meat left on the bone. Um, Duke can out talent the bottom of the ACC. Like Boston college might not be the bottom, bottom, like Notre Dame is with the first year coach, but they're kind of close. I think they're four and eight in the league. Duke can, Duke can out talent those teams. Duke can't out talent wake forest. Like the, the talent alone is not enough to beat wake. Um, they have to play connected and together and they haven't exactly been playing to net connected and together. Um, really the last time they did was at Virginia tech going into the, uh, the game at Carolina. So this is, you know, I, I can remember to to throw you guys down memory lane here. I can remember driving to this game uh, in 2020. It was late in the season. And I did a phone interview with Brendan Marks, uh, who was at the Charlotte Observer at the time. And uh, it would have been 2019. Um, I basically said there was no chance Duke, there were there was no chance Wake was going to win. There was no chance Duke was going to lose. Zion was out. He didn't play. Uh, I was in between his shoe blowing out and him coming back from the injury. <laughs> and Wake was a, uh, I think it was a Sean B. Brown baseline floater that would have won the game. It was right in front of us. And like I remember going to that game saying, like, there is absolutely no chance, like 100%. There's no chance Wake is going to win. They're going to get blown out by 30 this is not even going to be a contest. Uh, I don't even know why I'm going to this other than to see a massacre and wake almost wins. Like, I don't know. I, I just, there's such a different feeling to it. And obviously that's what five years ago, it's, it's going to be a different feeling with a new coach and new personnel and everything. But, um, but yeah, this, this should be a really good game. Um, the one thing that I want to want to really focus in on early is, Duke did have a relatively comfortable win on Saturday. Like they worked their way past BC. Wake exerted every bit of its energy to beat NC State. And 
I was talking to to Josh on the way out of the Joel yesterday. Like Wake is going to be sore today. Like that is an unavoidable fact. And uh, that was what I found interesting about Steve's talk. And this is what I'll write about in the preview is they didn't go live in the day between before the Carolina game. And they're going to go live today. Like they're going to go full contact uh, five on five, which, you know, it's either going to work or it's not. uh, and, And we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I'm glad you sort of brought up some of those recent, you know, close matchups between Wake and Duke. Obviously, you know, Wake beat Duke in the Joel last year and then, you know, fell by just two points in Cameron after sort of a late game frenzied comeback in Cameron Indoor last season. So, you know, a, a lot of close matchups between these two teams, you know, in, in recent years. And, and you know, the, the one day turnaround certainly is not in Wake Forest's favor. I agree. That was, you know, a dramatic energy exerting game. Like you said, fought right down to the wire. No minutes for the walk-ons, certainly. Um, and But kind of the next thing I wanted to ask you about tomorrow night is there, you know, just on paper, there are a lot of really intriguing matchups to keep an eye on. You, get, you want to see how Wake Forest guards, you know, Hunter Salas, Boopy Miller, Cameron Hildreth stack up to Jared McCain, Tyrese Proctor, and Jeremy Roach, and then how Wake is going to choose to defend Kyle Filipowski. So my question for you is, is there a matchup or two that you have circled on that, you know, famed yellow legal pad going into this game of one that might, you know, have a have an important, you know, impact on the outcome of this one tomorrow night? Biggest thing I want to see is uh, Mark Mitchell and Andrew Carr matchup. Um, those are the fours. Uh, Andrew Carr has been really steady, as we know. He's, I think yesterday makes it eight straight games in double figures. Um, he's been really, really like I called him Mister Steady. Uh, I don't know if the, I don't think that'll catch on. It's pretty bad, but we'll we'll come up with something for him. Um, but he's been really good. And and Mark Mitchell, I have this. It it started as a gimmicky stat. Um, Duke is now twenty eight and three when Mark Mitchell scores in double figures. It's like it's not a requirement for Duke to win and him to get into double figures, but usually when he does, it it means really good things have happened for Duke. And he's led him with 17 points yesterday against BC. Um, interestingly enough, one of the three losses was last year's game in Winston. Um, but that one's also defined by that was a December pre-Christmas game before Duke got Derek Lively to the level that he played for the last two months and that level was I thought the best defensive player in the country so it helps explain a little bit of the stat but to the matchup um it's it's really it's two guys that like to use their elbows uh if if we can if we can go objective here both of them use their elbows to clear out space and and get their get their ways inside um Mark Mitchell, uh, to to steal one of Steve's phrases, you can strip and rip against him. He sometimes will be loose with the ball, and he is probably Duke's most turnover-prone player. Um, maybe Kyle Filipowski also is. He's not played very well lately, and Duke is trying to get him back to the kind of all-American ACC player of the year type season that he was having through, I don't know, mid-January. Um, but really, I want to see. I want to see how Mark and and uh, Andrew Carr match up. Like those are those are your two kind of X factors in this game. Like I don't think Andrew Carr will lead 
Wake in scoring. I don't think Mark Mitchell will lead Duke in scoring, but they're the two difference makers inside that can do a little bit of everything. And uh, they're going to determine a lot of how the game goes. I, I, it's funny. I was looking at that, that game last year that Wake Forest almost pulled out against Duke. And the two-point victory, I think it, it's a it's a little bit of a false like false flag in the sense that Wake Forest lost by two, but it took a, a three-pointer at the buzzer to make that a two-point loss. So I always like to give that little caveat. But Mark I Mitchell, I remember that. there's who, something who that I noticed, it? went one for five with five points. It was Tyree Appleby. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was Tyree Appleby. So gotcha. it was it was close, like in the sense that that could have been, again, one of those Mark Mitchell, you know, the losses where Mitchell doesn't go for double digits. So I thought that was interesting that you brought that up. Connor, we usually do something on this podcast where Ben and I discuss keys to the game, keys for a way to Wake Forest to to come out with a win in specific games. And since we've already kind of discussed that that this is not an inevitable Duke win or an inevitable Duke or Wake Forest loss. Like this is certainly attainable for Wake Forest to go into Cameron indoor and win Monday night. Do you have any kind of keys drawn up for, for ways in which Wake Forest can go in and stun a team like Duke at home? I mean, the first thing I go to is you got to make threes to win on the road. Um, How many did Wake make yesterday? Six or seven. Yeah. It wasn't that many. I'm looking at I was looking at last year's box and seeing Damari Monsanto went three for twelve. I don't know that Wake will survive if anybody goes three for twelve. And they were nine for thirty-one as a team last year in in Cameron. Uh see what they were in the win at home against them was seven for nineteen is a lot better average. Um I mean the and the other part of it to stick with the threes. Um Duke has not shot the ball well in their last three games. They had a they had a really good shooting game up at Virginia Tech, and the last three they are five for 19, four for 18, and 10 for 30. So 10 for 30 is not bad, but it's still 33%. They're, they're a really good three-point shooting team that has not shot the ball particularly well lately. So if you're if you're doom and gloomers and and you're pessimists on the wake side of things are looking at that um they might get a little nervous because like duke has shooting duke in that regard duke is the complete opposite of it as they were last year like last year they were piecing together whatever they could uh in in the shooting department this year they've got it uh flowing so i look at three-point shooting um you know, coming from the Duke side of this, uh, Duke's assist rate is is really important. Um, when their assist rate gets well above 50%, like when it gets into 60 and 70% territory, it usually means the ball is flowing and they have those threes. Um, when it doesn't is when they're really, really beatable. Like they had Wake, Wake fans know this um, from their game at, at Carolina this year. I think Wake had three assists on 22 field goals in that game. Duke had eight assists on 35 field goals when they went to the Smith Center. Like when Duke does not move the ball, their offense is so stagnant and just really just not effective. Um, I was looking at the the splits against Boston College was like, 
I think Duke was kind of good in the like 55% range in the first half. The second half, when they pulled away from BC, they had nine assists on 11 field goals. So that's something like if you're if you're looking at the Duke side of things, you're going to want to look at that. And if you're at the Wake side of things, Wake is going to want to make Duke play basically two on two. The same thing that uh, Jared McCain told me about Carolina. You want to make them just play on one side of the court. You don't want to get them swinging the ball back and forth. Um, and I think Duke, I think Wake is one of the best teams in the country at making you do that. Yeah, their their assist rate on defense is 40.2% and it's seventh, seventh best in the country on Ken Palm. So that's like, I'm, I'm probably, I'm kind of writing my preview right now of uh, to give you an idea of how far behind I am. It's, it's 1127 in the AM here on Sunday morning. Um, Wake is like, that's going to, it's going to be imperative on Wake side to make Duke, play without ball movement it's going to be imperative on duke's side to play with ball movement and and circulate the ball and interior passing is something that kyle filipowski does really well um you're you're going to look at that at the end of the game and you're going to know kind of which team won this game if i would say if duke's assist rate is high then duke is probably going to win if it's low then wake's defense has probably done what it needs to do to to win this game i mean i would say also kind of on the wake forest side of it ball movement and how Wake handles the ball in general is a pretty important aspect of their offense. Like Steve Forbes talks about all the time, like when the ball gets sticky and the the offense kind of gets in a rut where it's Ben and I use the term like hero ball a lot when it applies to the guards, like when they sometimes try and do a little bit too much. Like I think just as much as one guard more than another. Yes, there is guard is guard was a generalized term there. Yeah. It it does apply to, to them as a group, but it's one more than the others. And I think also, I mean, I, I assume you're referring to Cameron Hildreth here. I'm kind of referring to Boopy Miller. I yeah, think I was going to go the, the opposite. I thought I you were saying Cam. In his hands. It, it is. It's getting, I, and I was going to go with both of them. Like I was thinking kind of, it's less so Hunter. At times it has been Hunter Salas. Hunter's done it a little bit. Um, I think the last time though, was like Florida State. If I, yeah. if I recall correctly, like yeah. it's hunters, hunters hit kind of a new, a new level. Um, but you saw it even yesterday with Boopy a little bit. And I think Hunter Salas actually was the Wake Forest had three turnovers in the second half yesterday and all of them were by Hunter Salas, but you can't like Hunter Salas had a crazy game. Um, but yeah, the guards like ball movement, security, handling all kind of important aspects of the Wake Forest offense too. So you mentioning the Duke side of that, I think it is going to be a very interesting back and forth on who manages their offense in the manner in which they, they want to. And, and kind of Steve Forbes always says like, looking like your practice or theirs, are you going to make your offense look like your practice? Or is it going to look like Duke defense is playing practice? What have you? So I think that's interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, the, the only difficult thing about when Steve talks about his ball movement is there's no stat that shows it because when Wake has ball movement, it's still – it's basically getting the ball into the low post and having somebody score down there or running a, a high ball screen. And when you don't have the lob threat um, that you had last year with Matthew Marsh and Ty Appleby, then it's just scoring in the mid-range. Like – you have very few like think of how many mid-range floaters Hunter Salas and Boopy Miller have made and Cam like 
think of all those mid-range, you know, six to 12 feet buckets, you don't get assists on those. So like Wake's ball movement and Duke's ball movement are completely different. Like the coaches talk about them in the same way and in the same vein of importance, but they're just such different ways to move the ball uh, for both offenses. Connor, I'm glad you brought up Boopy Miller because he, you know, he has struggled on the road, especially in some games recently. And I think his his ability, I don't even think he necessarily has to be making shots at a high level for this team to succeed, but he does have to be taking care of the ball better than he has been on the road. On Ken Palm, he has the highest usage rate on the team and that 24 to 28 of possessions used. He's the only person on the team with that level of usage. And there have been some times where he's really, really struggled with ball security. And, you know, Booby Miller's a great player. He's proven himself to be really explosive, going to, the, going to the basket, can shoot the three. But, like, in these road spots, and he won't get a tougher one than in Cameron Indoor, he needs to find a way to limit the mistakes because they're so much harder to come back from, not only on the road, but against a team that is as high quality as Duke. So he is going to be the guard for Wake Forest that I'm watching very closely tomorrow night. I think Wake has shown that they can rely on the other guys for the scoring. Boopy Miller doesn't necessarily have to be scoring 17, 19 points a game for them to win. He can, but the biggest thing for him is the ball is in his hands, bringing it up the court. He's the primary ball handler. So the better that the better job of he, that he does of, you know, not giving other teams extra possessions, ending possessions with shots. I think the better, obviously the better chance Wake Forest will have to compete sort of into the later stage of this game. So, Connor, you've just told us about what it might take for Wake Forest to go into Durham and emerge with a win. So I'm going to toss a hypothetical at you. Say Wake Forest does get this win tomorrow night. We've discussed all year Wake Forest's sort of identity as this bona fide bubble team nibbling right around the edges of that 68-team field. There's, you know, a lot of discussion online, bracketology. However, however, we've discussed that at length on this podcast. But my question for you is, say Wake Forest does get this win, how much ground does it allow them to cover in sort of the race to secure an NCAA tournament bid? Or what does it do for their standing as part of the projected field? Yeah, I think it puts you in the, it puts you in, right? Like it's a, it's a road win against a team that I don't know where Duke is probably somewhere between 10 and 20 at this point in net. Um, Like that's, that's surefire. Uh, It's not a road win against a team that's like 72nd, that's a quad one. And then two days later, they, drop out because some teams in the Pac-12 and Mountain West and Big West all won or lost or whatever all that nonsense is. Um, I spent too much time around Forbes. But, uh, no, like, it's – it would give you comfort, right? It would mean that you don't have to watch the Florida LSU game and hope that Florida beats LSU by 27 or 28 and – you know, you're not sitting there saying, oh, shit, LSU made a late game run and it's only 12 points and Florida's not going to move off of that 31 spot in the net. Um, it would just it would give you the one to hang on to. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the way it worked out two years ago was Wake had a quad one win against Carolina at home and then Carolina in the ACC tournament loses to Virginia Tech and drops past 30. So Wake loses a quad one that it had two months before because of something completely out of its control. So this is one of the ones they can control. Like this is Duke is going to be in the top 30 of the net uh, 
come season's end, unless the bottom falls out, which I, I don't think is going to happen. It could, but it, I don't think it does. Um, but shit, since this is on the road, you know Duke is going to be in the top 75, right? Like all the, the top 30 only meet, only matters two weeks from now when Duke comes to Winston-Salem. So yeah, it would it would give you it would give you kind of that. I hesitate to call it a holy grail win because I don't know if it's that, but but it's close to it. Like it's it's that one thing you can put on your resume and say like we have a great win. We went somewhere. We beat a you know tier one A or one B. If you say tier one A is only UConn and Purdue at this point. Um. And and that's a that's a hell of a thing to put on page one of a resume. Yeah, I feel like in, in terms of resume, and so this is a point that we made on our previous podcast. I feel like the eye test has kind of said that Wake Forest probably is a tournament team. The metrics right now say Wake Forest is a tournament team. The resume hasn't backed that up yet. And so I feel like Wake Forest's story so far this season has been a lack of bad losses, so no losses in quad three or quad four. And they're really strong at home. I mean, 13-0 at home. That's kind of their story. But they lack that big win. You could argue that Virginia or Florida is going to end up being that. But Duke kind of changes that story a little bit from a resume basis, as you were saying. Like, that marquee win, like beating Duke and Cameron, it hell, like beating Duke at Wake would be a big win. But beating Duke and Cameron would be a very big deal. And I think it does – elevate Wake Forest story from kind of like a a nice story to a very good story if you're kind of getting what I'm going with there the other part of this is like this week Wake has two of these because if Wake loses at Duke but then goes to Virginia and wins especially if Virginia beats Pitt and is still on their winning streak and still on this surge to the top of the ACC standings if Wake goes there and wins in Charlottesville it's obviously the, like the numbers don't match up to say it is as meaningful as winning at Duke, but it's close. Like that's, that's going to also be that type of resume building win that would put Wake Forest into the conversation of, okay, the, you know, we need to start talking about them in the nine, 10 seed range instead of landing on all of the last four in first four out, whatever, you know, everybody, cracks me up that now it's we have so many more of those lists i can remember when it was just like hey my last team in was um now you got a list like eight teams so that those eight fan bases all know that you're thinking about them but um but yeah like it's it's a big week for for wake it's obviously it's a huge game and you want the team and the players focused on only one game, but we're not on the team and we're not players. So we can talk about the rest of the shit. I'm sure you guys will have a podcast coming out before the Virginia trip too, but like all of Wake's eggs are not in, Hey, we have to win somewhere where we haven't won since Tim Duncan's senior year there. I, I did it again. Uh, all the eggs aren't in that basket. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, I think you're right. Like I've always kind of, the, the way I've hypothesized it um, is that like the, you, you boil it down to five games. Like it's away at Duke, home at Duke, away at Virginia, away at Virginia tech, home against Clemson. 
and it's I guess there's there's going to end up being like a crystal ball number of those that you want should have get like kind of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So no, it doesn't all rest on Duke in Cameron Indoor, but you know the, I guess we are talking about Duke, so it's more like a reality of can they do it? Will they do it? Um, and with that in mind, just our last thing before we let you go, Connor, on this early Sunday morning, I know you probably still have your preview to write just like my, like I do. Um, I got two previews to write, man. Oh yeah. You're, you're in a brutal position. I, I wrote half my preview last night for the Duke game. Uh, at, when I got back from the Joel after I'd written the game story and then I was sitting there thinking, this is horrible. And then promptly fell asleep on the couch. So <laughs> <laughs> to I think it was the Utah State game playing in the background. Um, but anyways, just in terms of this Wake Forest Duke game, I don't want to take too much away from your preview. But what what is your prediction from this game? From this game, like how, how do you see this one kind of going? I think like like I mentioned, I, I want to see how much energy Wake has if if they come out burnt out from playing the emotional, the more emotional game between these two and what they had on Saturday. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to predict that wake is going to be flat, but it's more in their equation to be flat than it is Dukes. Uh, just by that nature. I want to see the Mark Mitchell, and Andrew Carr matchup. I also, one thing I want to mention is um, Duke did something kind of interesting to kind of, make Kyle Filipowski a little protected uh, against BC. And they had Mark Mitchell guard Quentin Post and had Filipowski on Prince Aligbe and Devin McLaughlin or McLaughlin. I'm curious if we see some Filipowski on Andrew Carr instead of Mark Mitchell on Andrew Carr. Um, Just something to keep an eye on. Sometimes, sometimes when I come up with those things, it's, it's, really right and i'll let you know it and screenshot my preview and sometimes when i come up with them they're really wrong and i'll wear it with egg on my face and if somebody wants to point out how wrong i was then that's completely fine um and i want to see the three-point shooting like for both teams i think i think wake needs to hit some threes uh duke is i don't know how long that cold spell is gonna last like jared mccain was i think three for ten or or some maybe maybe even worse than that um he's got to be one of the best freshman shooters in the country i don't know how many down games in a row he can have uh his shot is just so pure and so repeated um he's the type of shooter that can put five threes on you and a half and really really energize his team so want to keep an eye on those things um Maybe this is more hope than than a prediction, but I want to see a good game. Like I, I sat there Saturday and was like, "Oh my god, these teams are just going back and forth, blow for blow." We have two guards going for thirty. Um, that was such an incredible game. That like I want more. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a junkie that you know, tap me in and dial me up to to more huge momentum swings and you know the the number that I came up with because I take play-by-play on a yellow legal pad was the last seven minutes of state wake. The only time it was a two possession score was when Hunter Salas made two free throws with 1.7 seconds left. Every other score to that point was within two points or tied. It was a great, great back and forth, great game. So if you dial me up for 40 more minutes of that uh, in this game, I'll, I'll sign on the dotted line right now. 
Yeah, I would probably do that too, especially in a place like Cameron Indoor. I there's there's nowhere better in my book to watch a basketball game. Well, Connor, as you always say, previews make you smarter. So thank you for for helping us out with ours here on the Boots on the Ground pod. From Deacons and Devils Illustrated on the Rivals Network, Connor O'Neill, thanks so much for joining us and, and go enjoy your your preview writing on this Super Bowl Sunday. Essex, Ben, appreciate it. And thanks for thanks for having me on before my personal Super Bowl. Perfect. Thanks, Connor. Well, that was Connor O'Neill with Deacons and Devils Illustrated getting us ready for Wake Forest and Duke Monday night, 7 p.m. ESPN. Pretty much everything we needed to cover was covered right there by Connor. We we certainly we needed a Duke expert and and we got one in Connor O'Neill. So Ben, there's only one thing left for us to do here on the Boots on the Ground pod and that is our predictions. So, I'll let you kick it off. Wake Duke 7 p.m. in Cameron Indoor Monday night. Yeah, so you know, thanks again to Connor O'Neill for joining us. He he sort of touched on all of sort of the intriguing combination of factors that you have leading into tomorrow night's game. So, you know, on the Duke perspective, you look at those scores and Duke's winning by double digits. They lose on the road to, you know, a top five Carolina team in the country. I don't think anybody in the Duke campus, you know, panicking at the sky is falling after that loss. They've won five of six. But Connor sort of gives that that important context that there's been some meat left on the bone in those games. That, that this isn't this isn't a Duke team right now playing maybe it's it's one A 1A brand of basketball. They're doing enough to win. And, you know, beat those opponents at home, you know, kind of in the lower half of the ACC, but they're not firing necessarily on all cylinders. He mentioned Kyle Filipowski has been playing his best ball. Jared McCain has struggled in spots. So the question really is, does that hold up or, or what can what can Wake do defensively so that that continues to hold up? And I think Cameron Hildreth services will be at a premium like we talked about how Cameron Hildreth made DJ Horn, even though DJ Horn was able to have a great game, Cam Hildreth did make him work for it. So I think that is going to be important during this game is can Wake Forest make Duke work for these, you know, these tough buckets away from home. And, you know, from the Wake perspective, you have, you're coming off of two dominant wins and then a really hard fought emotional home victory over an in-state rival, snapping a losing streak against them, getting a critical win for your season and your program. Unfortunately, that comes at the cost of an emotionally and physically taxing game with only one rest day in between. And then, you know, you look down the line for Wake and they have, you know, Virginia on the road coming up. So it does not get any easier for the Demon Deacons. But I think you can look at it two ways. You can say Wake, you know, has finally gotten that NC State burden off of their back. They are... You know, Hunter Salas, arguably the best player on the team, is playing like the best player on the team. So you have guys firing on all cylinders, and this team was able to overcome some adversity in a six-point deficit at home. But the question is, can you get your, you know, your mind, your body right in time to go, you know, play in the toughest road environment that you will see all season on Monday night after such a hard-fought game on Saturday afternoon? So my prediction is I, I don't... You know, I, I think that Wake will sort of just naturally be able to get up for this game. I'm not I'm personally not super worried about the energy level. I, you know, I think that this is a game that you circle on the calendar every single year. If you're Wake Forest and you competed in it last year and you've had some success against Duke at home, 
And I think everyone in that locker room knows exactly what this win can do for their season and for their you know, ability to go back to the NCAA tournament. So while I think it might take Wake a couple of minutes to sort of get their sea legs under them on the road, I expect them to settle in a little bit into the first half. It all just depends on how the first few minutes of the, this game goes for me. Can Wake sort of avoid getting jumped on by this Duke team? And can they, you know, find a way to keep things close in the early stages so that when they do settle in and get their sea legs under them, they can make this game competitive. That said, it's it, it's hard for me to predict Wake Forest to go into Cameron Indoor and win this game. I think it's possible. I think the elements are there. I can see a path where it exists and sort of the things on an X's and O's level that would have to happen in order for Wake Forest to get this win. But it's really hard for me to predict that Wake Forest gets this win, especially because the last time they faced a road team of this caliber in Carolina, they got, you know, run out of the gym in the second half. So, you know, and until I see it from Wake Forest that they can go into a road environment like this and win, I'm personally not going to predict that they do that. Like Connor said, yesterday's game was fantastic. Sign me up for 40 more minutes of that. So I am going to predict a close game. I think, you know, I don't know if it'll be a two point affair like it was last year, or the way it's been, you know, sometimes in the past. I think that Duke probably takes this one by seven or eight. So I'm going to go, I think, 81 74 Duke is my prediction. I'm glad to see we align on a prediction now, Ben. I feel like it's been a minute since we've done that. Before I get into the actual numerical prediction, I want to bring back something that I mentioned in the fall of 2022, and it involved a completely different sport and a completely different team. It was Wake Forest football against Clemson. When Clemson came to Wake Forest at what is now called a legacy stadium in I believe it was the fourth week of the season. And when I was talking about that game, I was talking about it even before the season, but leading up to it, I had said if there was ever a year for Wake Forest to beat Clemson in football, this would be the one for them to do it. And they almost did. I mean, really almost did. Like maybe should have beaten Clemson at home in football. And I really did believe that. I thought if there was ever a year for Wake Forest to beat Clemson, that that was going to be the year for them to do it. I have a similar feeling about this game against Duke. If there were ever a year for Wake Forest to go beat Duke and Cameron Indoor, and you could argue, depending on how things end up next year, I thought this to myself, that next year might really be the year you could go beat Duke and Cameron Indoor. But it feels like right now, or every year for Wake to go in to Cameron Indoor and win against Duke, it might very well be this one. Just in in the terms of, of matchups, Team vibes, the way Wake Force is playing, and, and how important this game is. I think this is the year that Wake could go into Cameron Indoor and win. Does that mean they are going to? We will see. I'm in that similar camp with you and with Connor, Ben, in the fact that I do think and hope that this is going to be a hard-fought contest for 40 minutes. I think this is a game that Wake Force as you said, can absolutely get up for kind of no matter what. I mean, it is Duke away. It's a big game. Wake's going to go live in practice at 2 p.m. today, as Connor mentioned. Like, there's going. I have a feeling that this team is going to be ready to play a very, very good Duke team. Um, and while I really do think Wake Forest can beat Duke away from home, I the same as you said, I can't sit here and say that they're going to do it. Earlier in, in a prior episode of the Boots on the Ground pod, I said that 
Wake Forest and Pitt, it was my last chance. It was Wake Forest's last chance for me to give them the benefit of the doubt away from home. And I'm going to stand by that statement. Wake Forest did not win that game. And for me, even though they did what they did to Georgia Tech and the run they've been on with three straight wins, I, that was the last chance for right now. I'm not going to say that Wake Forest is going to go and beat Duke. I think they can. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game. But until Wake Forest can prove that they can hit a level where they can go beat an upper echelon, high-talent team in a in a really hard environment away from home, I can't sit here and just be like, yeah, Wake is going to go beat Duke on Monday night. I'm just not going to do that. I think they can. So I'm going to go a six-point loss, 76-70, Duke wins in Cameron. And if Wake is able to, to keep it close or if they're able to somehow find a way to win, then it really gives you an opportunity to look ahead to a Saturday game against Virginia and be like, there's a shot here. And, and I think Wake Forest can, can really start to, to build that resume as you get closer to March Madness. But both Ben and I aligned on the fact, close game, but a Wake Forest loss. But again, my closing thought with that caveat that I really do think Wake Forest can win. And if this, there was ever a year to do it, this is the one. Thank you all for joining us on the Boots on the Ground pod in a, a short turnaround podcast. Duke versus Wake Forest, 7 p.m. on ESPN on ESPN in Cameron Indoor in Durham, North Carolina. We will be back after the game, breaking it all down and getting ready for the Virginia Cavaliers on Saturday. We're also going to be getting ready for baseball season, opening day against Fordham at the couch. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you all soon.